I don't know if you read this, but uh, when the Super Bowl was uh, in the process of being advertised and all the stuff that was going on with it, they published the fact that they did a survey and found out that 26% of the people believed that God determined who won the Super Bowl. And, uh, and so I, I think they assumed that because Russell Wilson was a Christian that obviously the Seahawks were going to win uh, if God were determining the outcome of the Super Bowl. Then there was 26 on the other end that believed that God is totally irrelevant uh, to any of the details of life, either because he doesn't exist or uh, because he died or because he's busy, but that he's just sort of a hands-off kind of a God and things happen because they happen, really no rhyme nor reason. So 26 over here uh, percent believe that God's irrelevant, 26 percent over here believe that every detail of everything, even the outcome of the Super Bowl is determined uh, by the sovereignty of God and then uh, those in between. So I want to talk about the sovereignty of God this morning. <clears throat> we're going through the Gospel of John, and we're in John chapter 7 this morning, and uh, this is the theme of this chapter, is uh, God's planning, His sovereignty, uh, the things that uh, have been decided ahead of time by Him. When Jesus came into this world as a baby, uh, He came in with a plan, and uh, Everything happened in his life by uh, schedule, by plan. He was marching towards the cross. And the day and that event was established as he moved closer and closer to that particular time. When uh, I left on my bicycle trip in July, uh, we were headed for Portland, Maine. And uh, we had a ticket, airplane ticket, to fly home. And it was on a particular day that it was leaving. And if we didn't get there, it was going to leave without us. So every day as we planned the next day, we had in mind that particular day in which the airplane was leaving to come back home. And we really wanted to come back home. I didn't want to pedal all the way back home again. So uh, we were uh, marching, as it were, pedaling, as it were, to that date of the departure of that plane. And Jesus lived his life the same way. So let me read to you John chapter 7. We won't read it all, we'll just read some sections of it. After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee. Walking in Galilee, that was where he was living, that was where he was uh, healing, teaching, uh, training his disciples in Galilee. Now, if you remember, this area is like uh, Washington, Oregon, and California, which we now know as Israel, and uh, it was made up of Judea and Samaria and Galilee. And Judea was where the capital was, that was the southernmost part, and Jerusalem, and that's where all the Jewish leaders were. Samaria was where all the uh, backsliders, pagans lived, and Galilee was by the Sea of Galilee, and that was where the rednecks were. Uh, fishermen, uh, farmers, uh, just regular old people. And uh, so Jesus tended to be there for most of his ministry, away from the leaders, the Jewish people that wanted to kill him. So Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Uh, that is the leaders, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booze, was near. And the Jewish men were required to go to three celebrations a year uh, in Jerusalem, and this uh, feast of booze was one of them. Therefore his brothers, Jesus' brothers, said to him, Leave here and go into Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works, which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. Now they were being sarcastic here. Uh, Jesus own family were not believers. They didn't believe he was the Messiah, they, just our brother. 
If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers were believing in him. They did become believers after the resurrection. In fact, Jude and James uh, wrote two of the books of the New Testament. So Jesus said to them, "My, my time is not yet here. My time is not yet here. That is, he knew that he was going to die on a cross for my sins and your sins, and he knew the date of that, and it wasn't here yet. But your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I I do not go up to this feast because my time is not yet fully come. Again, he makes that declaration. Uh, The day of my crucifixion hasn't arrived yet. Having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast, then then he himself also went up, not publicly, but as if in secret. So the Jews, again, that's the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, uh, the Sadducees, the rulers, were seeking him at the feast and were saying, where is he? There was much grumbling among the crowds concerning him. Some were saying, he is a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he leads the people astray. They believed, as we talked last week, that he was filled with a demon, that he was doing all that he was doing by the power of Satan. You had the Jews divided up into three groups. Those who believed he was God, he was the Messiah that had been prophesied hundreds of places in the Old Testament. Then you had those who believed that, no, he was a crazy man. He was a lunatic, filled with a demon. And then those, he was a good man. And today you have people uh, with opinions about Jesus, and many will say, yeah, Jesus was a good teacher, a good man, a good example. You know, Jesus himself never left that open as an option. Uh, he claimed to be God, the Son of God. Uh, he demonstrated that by the things that he did. And so really the only two things that could be true on the basis of all that he did was the fact that he was a lunatic. Uh, I, I met some guys like that. Uh, I remember one individual coming into my office, oh, it's been about 10 years ago, just walked in. I didn't have a clue who he was. He said, hello. I said, hi. He said, uh, I'm Jesus. Uh, okay. <laughs> Good to meet you, Jesus. And he kind of went on like that. And then uh, he left. I don't know where he came from or where he went, but I, I met Jesus uh, in the flesh. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure he was on something. I'm not sure what. Uh, so Jesus was either a lunatic or he was who he said he was, uh, God's son. And so there were those who believed that he was indeed the Messiah. There were those who believed he was a lunatic filled with a demon. And there were those who said he's a good man. Um, yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews then were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. He said, God gave me these words. Then Jesus cried out on the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I am from. And he told them repeatedly, I have come from heaven, from God, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to seize him, and they recognized he was claiming to be God, and so uh, the Jews hated him, and so they were wanting to seize him, uh, to kill him. No man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. It wasn't time yet for him to be crucified, but many in the crowd believed in him, and they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. 
The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. So if you have your notes and your bulletin, I'm going to talk about the sovereignty of God this morning. Number one, God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity, planned the details of the future in the beginning, and they are sovereign in making those details, that plan, happen. So way back before anything existed, before there was a planet, before there was an angel, before there was a single atom, only the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit existed because they are without beginning, having never been created. Back there in the beginning, as the Word says, they planned all the details of the future, including including me and you, that we would exist. Uh, And uh, they're carrying it out. One of the questions often that comes up in my mind and yours I have free will. I can choose to believe, to trust, to follow Jesus, or I can choose not to. Uh, All day long I make choices in the midst of the sovereignty of God. Uh, And it's like um, J. Vernon McGee said years ago, this illustration I like. Uh, He said it's like we're all on a train to Chicago. And the train is on two tracks and is headed for Chicago at a certain speed and it's going to arrive in Chicago at a certain date. But between uh, the engine and the caboose, and it's a big train, there are a number of different cars. There's sleepers and there's there's, uh, cars where you eat and there's cars where you can hang out and play games and visit. And then you can get up on top and see the scenery. And you can pretty much do what you want inside that car. You can get up when you want. You can go to bed when you want. You can eat what you want. You can talk to whoever you want. Uh, You can just... Live your life, but you're still on a train headed for Chicago, uh, and you're going to get there at a particular time. And so we live inside the realm of God's control, and we also have been given by Him uh, some freedom to choose and to live our life. Acts 4.27, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, To do whatever your hand, this is uh, talking about God, whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Acts 2.22, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you as God, as God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, this man, Jesus, delivered over to the Jews by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, put him to death. God raised him again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Second Kings 19, have you not heard? Long ago I did it. From ancient times I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass. Psalms 33, 6, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Isaiah 45, 5, I am the Lord, there is no other. Besides me there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun 
that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. Again in Isaiah 46, 9, Remember the former things long past. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established. I will accomplish all my good pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly, I have spoken. Truly, I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely, I will do it. Number two, most of the time, from our perspective, we can't see, understand, or make sense of the purpose or the details of God's plans. So we're living our life and things happen. Uh, things happen in work. Things happen in our family. Things happen to our health. Things happen in our finances and our relationship. And as we're moving through our, our life, living day at a time, week at a time, month at a time, year at a time, as we have birthdays and we look around and think about what's going on, uh, we really can't see the connection between our life and God very well. Years ago, when uh, eight little kids and a church were really busy and didn't see each other much, and Patty kept saying, we need to talk. We just need to sit down and spend some time together. I said, yeah, yeah, you're right, we do, we do. So one day I said, I got an idea, let's watch football together. And, you know, Patty's a pretty good wife, and she's kind of willing to try anything, so we sat down and watched football together. Now, she didn't know much about football, and so she would say, so what's that guy throwing his flag about? What's that yellow flag for? And then she would say, uh, she'd ask another question, and she'd ask another question, and she'd ask another. I mean, she had no clue what was going on in that game as she was watching the thing. It made zero sense to her, and I just got so frustrated. Let's just watch the game, huh? I thought we were going to talk. We didn't do that ever again. Um, it was hard to watch a football game when you're busy explaining all the details of what was going on. We're living in life that God is controlling, that He is sovereign over, and often it makes no sense to us. Isaiah 55, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. Micah 4.12, But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his purpose. Number three, an aspect of pride is thinking that we are in control and making things happen. Uh, I, my dog, Russell, and he's a Jack Russell, that's why his name is Russell, and uh, he's a hyper dog, and he's highly intelligent and very aggressive. And uh, when we have him in the house, we mostly have him on a leash next to his little house because he destroys grandkids in a single leap and bound. Uh, he can just wipe out a bunch of them there quickly. So he's tied up, and he's, you know, I pet him. He's by my chair. He's a great dog. And, and I take him outside on his leash, and uh, we'll go over to the field there, and, and he'll go potty, and we'll walk around and do things. And all the time I've got him on the leash, he's pulling really hard. And I haven't taught him yet what it means to heal, so he just pulls and... and uh, if you could get inside of Russell's head, I'm sure he thinks that he's leading me. That he's in charge and that where he goes, I go. That he's pulling me along. I think he thinks that. Uh, 
And so every morning when I get up and I say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life, because I've got this picture in my mind, I make this statement, I'm like a dog on a leash, but I know better. I'm not pulling you, uh, you're leading me. And I choose uh, to submit to your will. James 4 says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You don't even know if you'll be alive tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And so when I set a goal to do something, I set it and I say, Lord, I believe this is your will, but I submit totally to you. Number four, the consequence of pride is failure. That is, if you think you're in charge and you can pull off whatever you want and do whatever you want, uh, and that God really is not in the picture. I remember talking to an individual, and he, you know, he was kind of the opinion that God just kind of winds everything up like a clock and lets it go. And it's a hands-off sort of operation with him. So we were having a conversation, and I said, uh, if God wanted to take away your health, could he do that? Do you think he has the power to do that? Well, yeah, probably. So the flip side, could he give you perfect health if he choose to, chose to? Yeah, I, I guess he could do that. How about your income? Could he take away all your money so that tomorrow you woke up and were in total poverty with not a cent? Yeah, I guess God could do that. How about the opposite? Could he make you incredibly wealthy if he wanted to? Yeah. How about this one? Could God, as God, cause every person in the world to hate you? Well, I, I guess he could. How about the opposite? Could he stir everybody up so they all loved you dearly? So God is all-powerful, and he can do anything. And when we think that we're in charge, often then he will show us um, who really is in charge. Daniel 4 is a story about a king. Nebuchadnezzar is probably the most powerful king that's ever lived in the history of mankind, the riches as well. And the king reflected. Just had a day when the sun was shining, and he was on the top of his house, and he's looking around, and he said, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power, for the glory of my majesty. While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty. Sovereignty, that is the ability to choose and to plan and to work, has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle. Seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is the ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it bestows it. That's sovereignty. The ability to choose, to plan, to influence. Sovereignty is given to people from God. That is the ability to make a difference, a little bit or a big difference. Sovereignty has been removed from you to you recognize the Most High as the ruler over the realm of mankind. <clears throat> Number five, many rebel, fuss, and complain about what God is doing. You can do this any number of ways. You can declare yourself an atheist. 
God is totally irrelevant, doesn't exist, I'll do my own life. I'll lead my own life, I'll plan everything the way I want to do it. You can just ignore God, acknowledge His presence, but live your own life, do whatever you want. Or you can grumble and complain about everything that happens. Uh, any number of ways that we do that. Isaiah 45, 9, woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. Well, that's not a good word in the sense of uh, what occurs in our life. Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Romans 9.20, on the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? So, I want sovereignty, that is, the ability to influence, uh, the ability to plan, to set goals, to make a difference, a huge difference. God gives sovereignty. I love and like joy and peace and strength. Number six, submitting to God, acknowledging His sovereignty, and trusting in His love results in joy, peace, security, strength, and sovereignty. Submitting to God, you are Lord, you are in charge, I will follow you, I will serve you. Um, how do you do that? That is, submit to God, declare Him King, Master, Lord, Daniel, again, this is Nebuchadnezzar, the end of the story. At the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. My reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High and praised the, and honored Him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are as counted as nothing. He does according to His will in the host of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what, what have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me. My majesty and splendor were restored to me. For the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty. Sovereignty. Uh, you have a level of sovereignty. It might be a thimbleful or it might be uh, a boxcar full that you have been given by God. God gives His sovereignty to people, you and I. And the level of sovereignty that we have determines how much we will do, how much we will accomplish, the difference we'll make, the influence we'll have. And God gives His sovereignty to those who submit to Him and trust Him. Uh, and uh, there are those that are sort of like Nebuchadnezzar. They're like a cow on all fours eating grass. Not much sovereignty in their life. Number seven, uh, a good discipline to work at is to say out loud, I trust you, Lord, whenever we're feeling anxious, feeling anxious about life or the future. You've been in a movie probably, and before the movie starts, there's a little ad, and it says, please turn off your cell phones. Text comes across the screen, no texting uh, phoning uh, during the movie and it makes it fairly clear and I see that I pull out my phone and turn it off. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have that kind of message come from God regularly uh, like this, do not fret. Don't fret, don't worry, do not be anxious. Well, it does. Uh, yesterday, I take uh, some meds for my Parkinson's every eight hours. I got a little beeper on my phone that goes off, eh, reminds me. Time's up, ready to do it. I forgot yesterday. They went off uh, at 2, 
And then I said, okay, I got to run upstairs and do that. And then I forgot about it, spaced it. I'm in my office about 4.30 and I'm writing and, and it, uh, writing started getting hard and it started getting in, you know, you kind of hard to read it. I thought, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? And then I realized, oh man, that's, that stuff works good, that medicine. I take it and I'm pretty normal. I forget and I get pretty shaky. So I called Patty. I said, hey, Patty, I forgot to take my meds. Could you bring them when you come to church? She said, sure. And so my son-in-law brought us to leadership class, two little pink pills, took them. Cool. So I forgot, but I remembered. And what prompted me to, me to remember was what happens when I don't take them. And so do you ever think about tomorrow? Do you ever think about your health? Do you ever think about your job? Do you ever think about your finances? Do you ever think about your relationship? But the thinking that you do is anxious, fretting, worry. So every time that happens, every time you get any kind of a thought of fear for the future, just say, I trust you, Lord. I trust you. You love me. Psalms 25.1, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. In you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. That would be the demons that are constantly yapping at you, telling you what a rotten person you are and what little worth or value you have. When those thoughts pop into your mind, it's a simple thing to say, I trust you, Lord. You love me. Psalms 31.14, but as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, I say, out loud is a good thing to do if you're around a place where you can do that. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Psalms 33:20. our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Our heart rejoices in him because we trust. We trust in his holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according to, that is, to the measure that we trust you, bless us. Psalms 56, 3, when I am afraid. You ever have a little twinge somewhere in your body and it prompts this, ah, I wonder if that's cancer. I wonder if it's, you know, just that thought, that kind of a fearful thought. Whenever I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. I'll not fret, I'll not worry. Number eight, a good discipline to work at is to pray and ask God for insight whenever we feel confused about the purpose of his life, purpose of life events. You know, you just, I wonder where this is going and you don't understand why something's happening, and you can say, Lord, would, would you just give me a sense of what this is about? Would you grant me some understanding, some insight? Uh, can I catch just a glimpse of what your purpose is for my life? James 1 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Your character is like that of Jesus. But, and it's in the context of the trial coming into your life, if any of you lacks wisdom, that is, you can't make heads or tails out of what's going on, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. Now this wisdom is not talking about deciding whether you're going to go right or left or whether you're going to buy this or buy that. Uh, it, this is the wisdom of understanding life from the big perspective, from God's perspective. Why is this happening anyway? You know, most of the time with me, it's not any detailed kind of thing. It's a big picture of, uh, I, I say, Lord, help me. And a thought that pops into my head is, you're going to heaven. 
You're going to heaven and it's going to be so cool. You can put up with just about anything in this life because you're going to heaven. Number nine, a good discipline to work at is to pray and ask God for his joy, peace, strength as we deal with the difficulties of life. And so I feel a blue funk that is depressed, unmotivated. I feel hurt and offended and I fret about my health and about my kids and everything you fret about. And every time I feel that, I say, Lord, would you grant me strength and would you fill me full of joy? Would you give me peace? Uh, would you give me sovereignty? Psalms 29.10, the Lord sat as king at the flood. The Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. But we need to ask him. So, Submit to God and He will exalt you. Submit to God and He will give you sovereignty. Submit to God, He'll give you joy, He'll give you peace, He'll give you understanding, He'll give you strength. How do you do that? Let me suggest a very, very practical, down-to-earth, easy-to-understand way to simply submit to God on a daily basis. Number 10, a good discipline to work at is rejoicing always and never grumbling or complaining about anything. So my daughter, oldest daughter Sarah's 40th birthday was... Uh, uh, about a week ago, and, and so she and the, her sisters were talking about what they were going to do to celebrate her 40th birthday, so they decided that they were going to rent a house on the coast, and they're all going to stay together for three or four days, and uh, dads and grandparents were going to keep the kids. And so daughter from Alaska's flown down, and, and all the kids were there, and they've been hanging out at our house the last couple of days, and they've all got their kids, and, and you know, like 21 grandkids we have, and if you can visualize this picture, a big box full of Legos. I mean, it's a big box, and it's got a lot of Legos in it. And these kids are sitting all the way around that thing playing with Legos. And it's amazing how these Legos aren't the Legos they want. It's the Legos over there they want, with you know, all of them kind of doing that. And so they react to each other as the Legos that they want someone else has, and they uh, you know, kind of vying for who gets what Legos. Uh, one of them, what, the, what he does is he doesn't get the Legos he wants. He flops over on the ground with his feet kicking and screams, Ah! That's what... He does. And then another one hits the kid next to him. That's what he does. Another one throws him. They all pretty well have their technique about what they do in order to control the situation and to communicate they're not happy with what Legos are in front of them. Uh, you know, you can kind of tell which ones are like their grandmother. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm sitting in my chair watching this all unfold and say, wow, this sort of looks like church. I, no, no, no. <laughs> <clears throat> Philippians 2.14, do all things, everything, without grumbling or disputing. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always, always, always. Again, I say rejoice. So submit to God. How do you do that? Well, you don't grumble about anything. And you rejoice about everything. Pretty easy to understand. Number 11, as we grow, as we grow, as we grow, in our submission to God, He will give us sovereignty. He will give us sovereignty and authority and use us to influence people. So don't grumble about anything, rejoice about everything. Do you know that when I say that, that for most of you, you have this idea of, okay, I'll try harder. So let me tell you, it isn't an issue of trying. You can't pull off anything in your life on the basis of trying harder. Uh, 
that starts with a T. Let me suggest another word that starts with a T, and that's the word train. You train yourself a little bit at a time to become the person that you know you ought to be. Like learning how to play the piano, it's like riding a bicycle. Uh, you don't try harder, you just train yourself to rejoice, to not grumble. A little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, and pretty soon you are a very submissive person to God and you are powerfully blessed by Him. Um, my grandson that lives in Hawaii, when he turned four or thereabouts, uh, he learned to ride a bicycle and my son-in-law took a video of it. I thought we could watch this little clip. Visualize you here learning how, training yourself. Come here, try again. Try again. Okay, it's hard okay. work. And you keep practicing over and over and over and then it will get easier, honey. So how do you learn to be a submissive person to the will of God, to become a person that doesn't grumble about anything, that rejoices about everything? You just practice. Uh, you train, you get up, you keep working at it, and pretty soon you become a very, very powerful person. 11, as we grow, uh, excuse me, that's the, uh, number, uh, uh, James 4.10. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. He will exalt you. He will exalt you. You got the verses up there. There we go. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. 1 Peter 5, 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you. Matthew 25, 21, His master said to Him, Well done, good and faithful slave. This is Jesus speaking. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge. I will put you in charge. I'll give you sovereignty over many things. Number 12, as we grow in our trust in God and submission to Him, He will reveal His perfect will for our lives to us with more and more clarity. And so, knowing the will of God, understanding His purpose for our lives is given to those who trust Him, uh, who submit to Him, 
And it happens on a greater and greater level as we grow and our skill because of training, being a submissive person that trusts Him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Uh, He will communicate to you what His perfect plan and will is for your life. So I don't know where you are, but you do. You think about it in your own mind on your trust level, uh, your submission level with God, and it's then just a choice that you make every day. Uh, you can say it like me, I'm like a dog on a leash, and uh, I trust him. Uh, or maybe you can uh, use another illustration, but submit to him, give your life to him daily, and then train yourself not to fuss, because when you're fuss, you're fussing against God. You're fussing against him. You may think you're fussing against the president uh, or the weather or your mother-in-law, but it isn't. It's God. And uh, you don't want to do that. You want to trust him totally and completely. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are God. You are mighty, infinite in your power. And you created us. You have a plan for us. And you want us to live with you forever. And you want our character to be like that of yours. And as you um, influence and control the details of our life, uh, we can respond in any number of ways. I pray that each one of us will respond with with rejoicing, with trust, with submission, asking for strength, with, for joy. And Lord, we would want your sovereignty so that we can truly make a difference with our lives and use, be used by you. And every day we want to grow to become more like what you want us to be. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.